I'm gonna kick it up a little bit. Another notch! Bam, a little bit. Uh... I'm inspired now! Oh, yeah, babe. Are you with me? Bam, 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 bam! To the well here at STSA. We're so happy that you came. So happy to see so many new faces and uh, faces I haven't seen in a while. You're coming at the start of a journey that we are beginning today, a seven week journey here together, which will also correspond to the season of Lent. But the name of our journey here in the well is called Seasoning Life. And before I get into what this, this series is all about, I'm going to take a step back and I want to help you kind of walk through the process of, of why we're doing this series right now. <clears throat> because this particular series, as I mentioned to many of you kind of off the record, is something that I've been excited for for quite some time. And it's a series that I've been preparing for, actually for, I've been preparing for, for actually several months now. And I've been waiting to get to this day. And if, if, I, if you think that I'm always prepared months in advance for a series, you're mistaken. But this one, I was. And let me kind of walk you through how we got to this point. And actually, the story begins back on New Year's Eve, or a couple days before New Year's, as I was preparing for New Year's Eve, I should say. And I asked myself a question as I prepared for 2016, and the question is this. We are a results-oriented kind of people. We like to know bottom line. All right? We like to know, in the end, what is, like, shake away all the fluff stuff and get me to the core of it. Why did Jesus come to earth? At the time of preparing for New Year's, at the time of Christmas, when we celebrate Jesus, baby, you know what I mean? Fala la 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 and all that kinds of fun stuff. So I started asking myself a question. Why did Jesus come to this earth? What was his purpose? What was his goal? What was his objective? What was, like, the mission statement? Like, he got, of course, it's not really the way it is, but... We at Corporate America, all right, and I used to be a consultant. So you, as a consultant, we had projects, all right, and you're told at the beginning, your project is this, and your deliverable is this, and this is the deadline to do it. So let's say Jesus, if he had to choose a, 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 a career today, it, of course, would be consulting, okay, because <laughs> that is the career of choice for anyone of high caliber, okay. <clears throat> so let's say Jesus was a consultant. What was his purpose? What was his objective? What was his mission? What was the project? Was his goal to come down and heal people of sicknesses? There were sick people, and, you know, only Jesus could heal them. Was his purpose to, um, you know, there were people who were blind to give them sight? Was his purpose to just, you know, come down to this earth, do a whole bunch of cool stuff that he couldn't do in heaven? Like, heaven, you walked on clouds, but that got boring, so let's walk on water, okay, when we come down to this earth. Like, what was his purpose? What was his mission? What was his objective? Before you answer that question, let me show you a key verse. Because I know your mind is running to answer, but you have to see this key verse. Jesus said this at the end of his life on this earth. 
He said in his prayer to the Father, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. I have what? I have finished. Complete. That means whatever you answer to the question of why did Jesus come, the answer has to be something that is finished, is done. Because that's what he said. So did Jesus come to heal the sick people? Well, there's a lot of sick people who weren't healed. Jesus come to give open eyes of all the blind people. A lot of blind people whose eyes weren't open. Did Jesus come to save everyone? That's kind of where we would usually say, Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to save us. Yes and no. Like, I, I can't say no to that. But not necessarily, maybe not in the way that we kind of think of salvation. Because we kind of define salvation as, it means that I'm now in the kingdom of heaven for all of eternity and that's it. And there's no other. Well, let me ask you this. Did everyone that Jesus spoke to accept his salvation? Like, he made salvation available to everyone. But did everyone that he spoke to accept him? Believe in him? Did he even speak to every single person? How many people did Jesus actually speak to while he was on this earth? If you make it that the goal of Jesus was to reach every individual, this verse doesn't make any sense. So then why then did Jesus come? What was his purpose? What was his objective? What was it that he finished? Well, let's go and, and see what it is that he used to do when he was on this earth. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 shows us his tasks, a very common task for him while he was on this earth. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Then he said to them, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. <clears throat> Is it possible that Jesus would just say, follow me, and not say, make you fishers of men? Meaning, is it possible to truly follow him and not be a fisher of men? Is it possible to do one without the other is what I'm trying to say. Can I be a fisher of men without following him? Like, can I be like a true a fisherman as he designed me to be without being a follower? No. Can I be a true follower without being a true fisherman? Can I do one without the other? No. The two are a package. And we talked about this about a year ago. We, did, we, we talked about this, this concept of we in the body of Christ are called to be citizens and ambassadors. Remember we talked about that. In heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, our role is to be citizens, follow me, and ambassadors, be a fisher of men. To be a citizen, a good law-abiding citizen, but also an ambassador to play a role in the expansion of this kingdom. So, said another way, I'll say this. I'll say Jesus came not just to save individuals, but Jesus came to raise up an army. Jesus came not just to save individuals, but Jesus came to raise up an army. Jesus didn't just come to touch people's lives. He came to touch people's lives, change their lives, and then send them out to go change somebody else's life. Did Jesus finish that task before he died? Did Jesus create an army on this earth before he died? Yeah, what's the name of the army? The church. The church is the army. This was Jesus' way. He come, he changed your life, and then he sends you off to go change somebody else's life. There was this scumbag named Zacchaeus. He was a scumbag. Everybody hated him. He was a liar, a cheat, and a stealer. Thief, not a stealer, a thief. And he was the scumbag of the city. And Jesus came to him and said, Zacchaeus, I love you. 
and I want you to know that you can be a citizen in my household, in my kingdom, forever. And Zacchaeus said, okay, this is great. And then Jesus said, okay, Zacchaeus, now go. And Zacchaeus, at the end of that story, from a liar and a scumbag and a cheat to the most generous guy in all of town. They started giving away people money that he didn't even steal from them. He gave people money that he stole, and then on top of that money that he didn't even steal, he started giving it away. Samaritan woman was the friendly lady around town. And everyone knew for a good time, call 555 Samaritan woman. And Samaritan woman, before she met Christ, was a male killer. She was a killer of men. She killed them. She killed them spiritually. She killed them. But after she met him and she changed that day at that well, then all of a sudden she went and she told everyone, come meet a man who told me everything. And it says that half the city came out and said, we want to know who you are because this lady said something about you. And now she's a life giver. The disciples themselves, the ones who Jesus said, follow me to. When did they graduate the, 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 the Jesus University program? That when did they graduate? Not when they had spent three years with him and they watched him and he died and he rose from the dead. They didn't graduate until the day of Pentecost, received the Holy Spirit, now go. And Jesus said, finally, now you're ready to go and I can go back and leave y'all a better way than I came. Jesus didn't come to save individuals. Jesus came to raise up an army. An army of love. An army of hope. An army of light. An army of salvation. I don't know where the term salvation army came from, but we're the true salvation army around here in the church. Because this is the army that Jesus raised to give salvation to the world. Why is that an important concept? Because the goal of our faith is not just to believe. The scriptures tell us that even the demons believe in God. Believing in God is not the purpose. And if you think that the purpose, it's the first step and it's a critical step, but it is not the end goal. And there's a big difference between saying something is the first step and it's the only step. Okay? And the first step is to believe in God, but there is much more beyond that. That our goal is to be citizens of the household of God, members of God's eternal family. And as a member, that means I enjoy the benefits of communion with God here today, and then for all of eternity, I enjoy that same communion. And the point of, 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 of his coming was to integrate us into this household. Now, can you be a part of a household and not care about the mission of the household? For example, let's say I adopt a child. Y'all ever seen the movie Blindside? Okay, that's my dream one day. I'm going to do like that, okay? I'm going to adopt someone who's going to win a Super Bowl one day, okay? Hopefully. But even if he just makes it to the championship game, that's okay. okay. <clears throat> Let's say I adopt a child into my family. And I tell that child, look, I'm not adopting you to do anything. I'm adopting you because I am full of grace and goodness and love. And I want to shower that upon you. Welcome to my household. You're now a member of my household. But then that child grows up in my house. And that child sees me breaking my back for the sake of this church. And sees me going and doing anything I can for the sake of this church. And coming early and staying late. And donating my money and donating my time. And everything for the sake of this church. He sees me pouring my life into this church. And then he sees me that I need a hand. And he just... What would you say to that child? A child who's been given everything, not in order to help. I'm not saying that I said, you know what? I need a hand with the church. Let me go adopt a child. I'm not saying it like that. What I'm saying is, I have love. I want to adopt a child. I love this child. But now if you love me and you see me breaking my back and you don't help, 
and you see putting all my effort, you cannot be a true child unless you take part in the same mission. Agree? You cannot be a true child unless you are part of the same mission. <clears throat> same is true in the household of God. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, you see where we're coming from here. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's my word for 2016. I shared y'all on New Year's Eve. Soldier. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. My role in the household of God is a soldier. My role in the church is a soldier. Jesus came to make an army, the church, and my job as a member of this church, as a member of his body, as a member of his household, is to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If you look down upon the church today and you knew nothing, you knew nothing of soldier and mission and army, you knew nothing, and you just looked down, you came from the moon, and you just showed up and you said, what's the purpose? Someone asked you, what's the purpose? Go and spend a month with the people of the church, follow them around and tell me what is the purpose of their existence on this earth? What is the purpose of their existence? They meet on Sundays. They always say we're part of the church. Some of them tattoo themselves. What is the purpose of their existence? Whoa. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay. That's a good answer. Let me tell you my answer. Okay. I think, I think if you took an alien off the moon and you had an alien follow us around, follow around the members of the church, okay, and you told him, you know what? The members of the church here, what they're doing is they're following the mission of their master, who is Jesus Christ. And then you ask that person, what was the mission of Jesus Christ on this earth? Based on our mission, I think you'd hear things like, well, Jesus must have been very, very interested in having a big house. That's why he came. Jesus' mission was to have the biggest 401k ever. And that's why his followers are very committed to that. Jesus came to have as much vacation time as he can. Jesus came to invest in this company called Starbucks with both his time and his money, as much of it as he could to invest in this thing called Starbucks because that's all his followers do. Is that why Jesus came? Is that why Jesus came to this earth? To have a big house, a big car, big 401k, big promotion? That's why Jesus came? Because that's what, if we're oftentimes honest, that's what our lives are indicating. That Jesus' mission, which we are proud to complete, was to live a very comfortable life on this earth and have a lot of Starbucks. Is that why Jesus came? Or did Jesus come to fight against evil? Did Jesus come to fight against the powers of darkness? Did Jesus come to open up the eyes of the blind? Not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind, those who couldn't see him. Didn't Jesus himself say that I have come to give justice to those who are oppressed, freedom to those who are captive, life to those who are dead, hope to those who are in despair, isn't that why Jesus came to this earth? And if that's why Jesus came to this earth, and you and I are not fighting for the same thing, then we are on the wrong team. Then we are on the wrong team, because that's what our master came for. You see, one of the things that we believe here in this church, 
we, two things we don't talk about here in this church, okay? We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about religion. Two things we never talk about in church, okay? Because those, those start fights. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to start a revolution. Jesus came to, as his enemy said, his enemy said this, not himself. His enemy said, bore witness, that the people who followed him have turned the world upside down. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus came to take this world as we know it and to flip it upside down, not by himself, but he came to raise up an army who believe in him and who trust in him and then to send them out to flip the world upside down, to tell them, you think you know God, you don't know God. You think you know a mean God, let me show you a beautiful God. You think you know a God of rules, let me show you a God of grace. You think you know what light is, you don't know light. We live in darkness here, but let me show you there is light, unfailing light, unfailing love. There's joy, there's hope. He came to turn everything upside down in this world and he raised up an army to do that. And here's the important part, here's the kicker. We are supposed to be on the front lines of that battle. We are supposed to be on the front lines of that war. We are soldiers. We are not supposed to be hearing reports about it on Sundays. We're not supposed to be reading about it in history books. We are supposed to be the ones on the front line. Unless you think that that war is over, I don't think that war is over, then we are the ones who are supposed to be on the front line. Why? Because we are soldiers. Freedom! Who's with me? We are soldiers, ladies and gentlemen, and we are here to fight. And I'm here to pump you up to do something about it because we're not just going to sit back while someone else died for our freedom and sent off a whole bunch of other people to fight for our freedom. We're not just going to sit back and do nothing. <laughs> we are soldiers, and we have fun. There ain't no more group of fun soldiers in the world than the group right here, okay? Because I read the last page of the book. We win in the end, okay? So that's why we're having fun while we do it. My point is this. There's two groups of people in this world. There are soldiers and civilians. Soldiers and civilians. Soldiers and civilians may look the same on the outside. Both of them want the same thing in the end. Both of them want, in this country, soldiers and civilians want the best of the United States of America. We both want the United States to prosper. What's the difference between a soldier and a civilian? A civilian, I'm sorry, a soldier does something about it. A civilian sits at home and claps. A soldier says, we need to fight against the powers of darkness. And a civilian says, yes, you do. <laughs> Which of those two is you in the kingdom? Which one is you? Your soldier? You're a civilian. Let me tell you how you can tell. There's a lot of things in Christianity. Based on how you define yourself, soldier or civilian, you can see the difference. Love, for example. Love is important in Christianity. Civilian, love your neighbor. Soldier, love your enemy. See, a civilian would say, you know, I'm loving. I'm doing my best. I'm loving. But there's these quote. I'm making this term up. It's not really true. Non-essentials in Christianity. You know, they're not like the electives, right? There's electives. So like we have to love our neighbor, but love your enemy. That's like for the high level guys. Some people give 5%. Some people give 10%. Some people give 12%. Some people give whatever they got. Soldier or civilian? All of us, civilians, would say, you know what? We shouldn't do adultery with another person's wife. But what if we just thought about it? What if we just looked? 
civilian, soldier, because a soldier holds himself to a higher standard than a civilian. A soldier does things that a civilian would never do. A soldier, on a regular basis, would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and run 10 miles. Why? Because he's a soldier. A civilian would train an entire year to do that once. And then would celebrate with a trip to, to, to IHOP or to whatever all-you-can-eat buffet to celebrate that accomplishment. A soldier says, man, that's par for the course. This is what we do. Soldier gets up, runs five miles. Soldier gets up, does 100 push-ups. This is what a soldier does. Why? Because a soldier is on the front lines. And a soldier has to always be ready. And a soldier has to know that the enemy is just five miles away right there and they can jump on me at any time. Soldier has to be prepared. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God, what do you view yourself? As a soldier or as a civilian? What we are going to do here in this series is we're going to define ourselves as soldiers. We are soldiers. And the number one difference between a soldier and a civilian, a civilian lives for his comfort. A soldier lives for a greater purpose. And that's what we're going to find ourselves. What we're going to do here in this series is we're going to talk about habits. For those who were at Momentum last weekend, I was gone last weekend. For those who were up there, we talked a lot about habits. Okay, and it was based on a fantastic book, which is not spiritual, but is so true, called The Power of Habit. Highly recommend the book. Anyone who's looking to read a good book, read The Power of Habit. It'll change your life. Power of habit, we talked about the importance of habits and how habits, once we build them in our lives, then they carry themselves forward. All right? And we were talking about how there's so many things in our life that we don't realize that we do out of habit. And once we build these habits into our lives, they become mindless. And I gave the example of like brushing your teeth. Think of the sequence in which you brush your teeth. All right? I start at the northeast cor cor corner and I work my way around in a clockwise fashion. You may do it completely differently, but once, I guarantee you, once you started that habit and you built that habit in place, then you do it over and over and over and over and over without even thinking about it. Same thing with the way you shower. Do you go from right to left or left to right, up to down or north-south or south to north, whatever it may be. Certain things that we do as patterns. We need to start to build soldier habits into our lives. We need to start to build soldier habits into our lives because the soldier who's been waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning and running five miles every single day, and he did that for a year, two years, that's habit for him. And that all of a sudden, that's not a big deal for him anymore. We need to start building soldier habits into our lives. Christian soldier habits, not talking about soldier, but Christian soldier habits into our lives, and that's what this series is going to be all about. The name of this series is Seasoning Life. And what we are going to talk about based on this verse right here from Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, is how we can season our lives with the habits that lead to a soldier lifestyle. Look at this verse. Okay, this is our theme verse. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. What is seasoning? What is seasoned with salt? What is, what is the, 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 when you hear seasoning, what seasoning does is it takes something that is good and it makes it tastier. A steak. A steak is a steak is a steak is a steak. But the difference between a steak with seasoning and without seasoning is the same protein. It's the same, uh, you know, nutrients and protein, and fiber, and whatever is in, you know what I mean? It's the same. Vegetables, it's the same. But when it's seasoned right, it makes all the difference in the world, right? This is, 
Easy concept to understand. I'll tell you, as we approach Lent, I'm going to give you the key to Lent right here. Let me give you the key to Lent. All right? The key to Lent is one thing. Sweet baby rays. <laughs> Y'all know what sweet baby rays is? It is the sweetest nectar on this earth. It is this barbecue sauce that you get from Costco, or I'm sure it's in other places too. We buy it in the Costco size. There in not, during Lent, we don't eat any animal products. No meat, no fish, no dairy, no nothing. I don't know what we eat. Okay, we eat a shoe sometimes. Okay, it's what it tastes like. But I promise you, you put some sweet baby rays on that tofu thing, tastes great. I can eat just about anything with sweet baby rays. What we need is to offer God. Every day we offer God our lives. We offer God prayer. We offer God fasting. We offer God our financial donations. We offer God every day we make an offering in front of God. What we're going to talk about is five habits that season those things. That make it taste oh so sweet. Because when we look at these habits, and you'll see these, every week we're going to look at a new habit starting next week. We're going to talk about how when you offer God, like one of the habits, for example, is to bless others. Okay, we're going to talk about how this is going to be a challenge for next week. I'm warming you up right now. You're going to, our habit for next week is we're going to talk about blessing three. You're going to bless three people next week. Not this coming one, the week after that, because I'm going to talk about it next week. To bless three people, randomly. And two of those people, I'm sorry, and one of those people has to be someone that you don't know from church. Has to be someone outside these walls right here. And I'm telling you that every day you stand to pray. But the day that you stand to pray, after you have blessed someone financially with a word of encouragement, random blessing, that prayer tastes a little bit sweeter to God. Because the same words that you say and that I say, and you're saying it after a life of giving, a day of giving, and I'm saying after a day of selfishness. The words don't taste the same. The words do not taste the same. And that's what this series is all about. How to season our lives with habits. Sweet baby race. But before we get into that, I want to look, so that verse that I just showed you was Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. That's our theme verse, but I want to back up to the three verses before it and then go back to those two verses. So we're looking at Colossians chapter 4 from 2 to 6, but I want to break it into two sections because I think, I think we'll learn something from it. To see, he just said, seasoned with, with grace, seasoned with salt, okay? But before that, what did he say? He teaches us something here. He says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open for us, open to us a door for the word. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. In these two verses, St. Paul tells the people, the Colossian people, that there's like two different roles when it comes to soldiers. Okay, and it's a little bit subtle, but stick with me right here. There's two different roles. The first role is what we see right here. Okay. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant with thanksgiving. And then he really talks about it right here. Praying for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. He's saying me, St. Paul, okay, I'm an evangelist. What is the role of an evangelist based on these verses right here? What is his role? He's saying, pray for me that I can do what? 
speak. The job of an evangelist, that's a role in the church, is a gift of the church, is a preacher, an evangelist, someone to speak. That's why he's saying, open to us a door, pray that we would have a door open to speak and to make it manifest, to speak. So that's one role, is to speak. And there's certain people who are gifted at speaking, and they should speak, and it doesn't mean just necessarily a priest. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit to preach and to make manifest the mystery. But then he says, there's another job. Look at this. This is now our theme verse here. Now he says, you guys, what's your role? Is your role to speak? He says, your role is walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Was their role to speak? Or their role is to answer? What's the difference? What's the difference? Some of you, I'm sitting here and talking about soldier. Some of you automatically think I'm talking about you need to start preaching. Get the Bible, take it to work, start hitting people on the head with it and telling them that. And you say, well, that's, that's not me. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't think that should be anywhere. Especially if you use your Bible on the iPad, like it's, it's going to hurt. I don't think that should be anyone. Some of you say, I'm not gifted to preach. And I say, so what? I didn't say you have to preach. I didn't say you stand at the corner. I didn't say that you even say anything. St. Paul said there are kind of two groups of people, and there are some who are gifted to speak, and if that's you, you speak. But there's some who say, I'm not gifted to speak. Okay, your job is to answer. Your job is to answer. St. Peter actually says the same thing in a later verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense, to give an answer everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Your job is to answer, to give a defense. What's the only way that you can answer anybody? What has to happen before you answer someone? They have to ask. Stick with me. Let me explain this. Our mission as soldiers is to live questionable lives. Our mission as soldiers is to live questionable lives. I wanted to make this entire series called Questionable Living, okay? But I was told by the powers that be that that's a bad connotation, okay? <laughs> but this is what it means to be a soldier. It means to be a questionable person, but not in the negative way that you're thinking about it. It means that people should see your life and ask you questions. People should look at you at the office and say, why are you different than everybody else? People should, in your neighborhood, know that this house is something special about this house, and I want to pull you aside and say, how come you don't talk to your wife the way I talk to my wife? Your kids are, are, are insane, but I don't see you go crazy on them the way I go crazy on my kids. What's it about you? People should be asking us questions. Now, <clears throat> to show you what it means to be a questionable person, go back to the early church, the book of Acts, first few centuries of Christianity. Those people lived very questionable lives. Why is it that the world was turned upside down like I said a minute ago? If you think the answer is the world was turned upside down, 
because the church had good speakers, you are sadly mistaken. If you think it's because the church had very powerful preachers, then you are not reading the same history book that I'm reading. Because yes, there were some good preachers, but the power of the church's growth was not based on the power of the preachers and the speakers. It was based on the power of the questionable lives that so many hundreds and thousands of Christians had. And so many Christians lived in such a way that everyone said, why do you do what you do? What makes you special? What are you guys doing on Sunday morning that is changing your lives? And that was the power of the church. That's what made the church grow like wildfire and turn the world upside down. Because the people in the church gave until it hurts. The people in the church loved their friends and their enemies. The people in this church gave grace and forgiveness. The people in the church in the midst of the Roman Empire, okay, it was what was, what, was, what was dominating the world at that time. One of the most brutal and cruel and just animalistic societies ever. And in the midst of that, the Christians were full of gentleness. And people said to them, what's wrong with you? We hurt you and you pray for us? We curse you and you help us? What's wrong with you? They lived questionable lives. And just to prove it to you, I'm going to bring you an example right now. And I could have brought you Bible verses to show you how the Christians were great. I could have brought you stories from the Christian history books. But I want to show you out of the horse's mouth himself. There was an emperor in the 4th century called Julian. Julian was a pagan emperor. Bad guy. Didn't believe in Christian gods. Pagan. He actually, he called Christians atheists. Okay? He called Christians atheists because they didn't believe in his gods. So he said, they don't believe in the gods. So they're atheists. That's what he used to call them. Well, let me show you out of the horse's mouth himself what Julian said because he was so scared of the Christians. Uh, he was scared of the Christians taking over his empire even though they never picked up a weapon. They never said anything bad about the empire. They just lived questionable lives. Look what he said right here. It's a long quote, but it's great. He said, we must pay special attention to this point and by this means effect a cure for the sickness of Christianity. Called it a sickness. When it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think that the impious Galileans, meaning the Christians, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. So you see what he's saying? He's saying these no good dirtbag Christians. They saw that we weren't loving the poor. So you know what they did? They started loving the poor. Dirtbags. And they have gained ascendancy in the worst of the deeds through the credit they win for such practices. For just as those who entice children, listen to this, for just as those who entice children with a cake and by throwing it to them two or three times induce them to follow them, and then when they are far away from their friends, cast them on board a ship and sell them as slaves. That's what he's saying Christians are doing. Like we throw some hospitality to the poor and then we kill them. I don't know what he's saying. By the same method, I say the Galileans, the Christians, also begin their so-called love feast or hospitality or service of tables, for they have won many ways, for they have many ways of carrying it out, and hence call it by many names, and the result is that they have led very many into atheism. That's questionable living. <clears throat> he said, these people, see, it wasn't the Christians. You know, the Christians never started to call themselves Christians. The term Christian was given by the bad guys. Said that you guys over there, like you, you, you're different than us. You're nicer than us. You're hospitable. You, you Christ followers, you Christians. 
do we live questionable lives? You show, I'm going to show you how questionable their lives were. Julian came up with a plan to stop these Christians. Look what he says right here. This is hysterical. Why do we not observe that it is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretended holiness of their lives that have done most to increase atheism? I believe, watch this, here's his plan. I believe that we ought really and truly to practice every one of those virtues, for it is disgraceful that when the impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well, all men see that our people lack aid from us. Oops, sorry. What is his great plan right here? This emperor said, we're going to launch an all-out offensive on these guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try this love thing that they're doing. <laughs> but we're going to out-love those scumbags. And we are going to be nicer and more hospitable than them. Did it work? Is it possible to out-love someone out of spite? <laughs> that was their plan. The thing is, you can't win a race when the other guy isn't racing. Christians were not... One of the biggest myths, by the way, about evangelism and mission, that it's all about bringing people to church. We make evangelism out to be like church marketing is basically what it is. Okay, like we're trying to, to do marketing for the church or advertising for the church or something like that for the church. Whoa, sorry. If someone pushes the four button back there, it'll solve all the problems. There we go. Or the, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Katie's come around. Katie, you'll take care of it. Evangelism isn't to win people to church. Like evangelism isn't like our church's marketing strategy or like, you know, we need more people. Let's bring, that has nothing to do with it. Evangelism has nothing to do with bringing people to church. Loving people has nothing to do with bringing people to church. It has everything to do with the fact that we have been loved and it is our greatest desire to give away that same love. Whether you come to church or don't come to church, that's great. Whether, whether I give to someone and they come, that's great. It has nothing to do with anything. Our job is to do what Jesus said right here. This is what it means to be a questionable person. Luke 6, 35. But you love your enemies, you do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. We don't love so people come to church. We love because that's what Jesus told us to do. And if they come to church, great. We welcome them with open arms. And if they don't, we still love them. It doesn't matter. And your reward will be great for you. will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, you be merciful, just as your Father is also merciful. That's what the Christians were doing. The Christians were full, were full of mercy. They were full of kindness. And everyone said, you people, something's not right about you. And all they said is simple. Look, we have been shown mercy, so we show mercy. We've been shown kindness, so we show kindness. We've been shown goodness, so we show goodness. That's it. If you want to race us and try to outlove us, man, that's great. Like, we will give you tools and pamphlets to help you. But that's, that's not our goal. We're not trying to win anybody. What did this do? What did this do to the Roman Empire? It destroyed it. How do you destroy an empire with no weapons? How, how do you win a war when you don't even have any kind of semblance of a real army? You live a questionable life. And the only place in the entire Roman Empire, the only place in the entire Roman Empire where you could find a slave and his master sitting side by side was the church. An unheard of concept. A slave and a master side by side in the church. Nowhere else outside. The only place that a man and a woman were on equal footing in the entire Roman Empire was in the church. I said, you people, 
What's going on? Don't you understand the social classing system? Don't you understand that men and women? Don't you understand the rich and poor? Don't you understand that? And he said, no. See, here in us, we don't have that. And he said, what's wrong with you? Titus chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. It's a long passage, but I just want you to get the gist of Titus saying, what does it mean to be a questionable person? Okay, Titus is telling, what is it, or Paul is telling Titus, this is what you tell your people how to be questionable, okay? And it applies to the first century, but it applies to us now. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And he goes through the list. Older men, let them be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be, may not be blasphemed. So he starts by telling them, tell, tell your people, this is what it means to be a questionable life. There was nothing more questionable in the first century that the older men apparently be sober, okay? Which <laughs> wasn't... But hey, but ladies, don't laugh. For y'all, it was be reverent, okay, in behavior, okay? That apparently, these were very uncommon behaviors, okay? That the men would be sober and the women would be reverent. He goes on. The young men, exhort them to be sober-minded in all things showing yourself to be a good pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that they cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Did you hear that? That's questionable living. The one who says, these horrible Christians... Let them look at your life, and your life will show them that we ain't no horrible nothing, and we have no objective. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, and to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all fidelity. Now, here's the part I wanted you to see. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That expression, may adorn the doctrine of God. Other translations translate adorn the gospel with make the gospel attractive. Said another way, spices, seasoning. The gospel is what every man needs. Every man needs. But you know, if you put some salt on it, it tastes. Without the salt, it, it's good for me. But when you put that salt on there, you put, forget the salt, who cares, sweet baby rays. <laughs> You give me a veggie burger by itself, and, but you drench that bad boy in sweet baby race. There isn't nothing that you can't with sweet baby race. In the first century, it was questionable for slaves to love masters, for young men to have self-control, for old men to be sober, and for old women to be nice. Okay, that was questionable living. The question for you today is what will elicit the same behavior, I'm sorry, or the same response in 2016 in your world. What is the questionable behavior that you need to adopt in order to elicit the same response from the world around you? To make them say, why are you different? What is different about your Sunday than my Sunday? What are we going to do to make people ask us questions? There's an expression, a proverb in communication circles, which says... When predictability is high, impact is low. You may have heard that before. When predictability is high, impact is low. Means, as soon as I come up here and I say something that you say, I've already heard that, you stop listening. But when I say something new, and I say something that you haven't heard, ears are tuned in. Well, in the same manner, 
We need the world around us to take note of us. How will they take note of us? It means we need to not live the same as everybody else. We need to be a little bit unpredictable. The world around us says, you know what? Go to church every week. You know, don't steal from anyone in the office. You know, someone drops their books on the floor, help pick them up. That's not going to make people ask you questions. If you want your neighbors to ask you questions, you got to be nicer to them other than when there's two feet of snow outside. That can't be the only time you speak to them. That can't be the only time that you do something helpful in your neighborhood when there's two feet of snow outside. Because that's predictable. You have to do something unpredictable. You have to do something beyond what a normal civilian would do. You have to be a soldier. And you have to make people's ears stand up and say, you, why you do that? And that's what this series is all about. We're going to talk about five habits starting next week. Five habits. Five habits to do what Jesus taught us to do. To do what Jesus came for. John 17, verse 16. Jesus said, They, the church, are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You have sent me, Father, into the world. I sent them into the world. Just as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. There should be no break between the work of Christ the work of his disciples, the work of their disciples, and then the work of us today. There should be no break. There should be no separation. Say, so yeah, Jesus came to do that, and he sent his disciples to do that, but here's what we do today. We just gather and we just have a cup of coffee on Sundays. That's what we do. That's our mission. Jesus' mission was completely different, but there should be no break. As he was sent by his father into this world, you know, I got news for you. Jesus never came to Arlington. Jesus never came to Arlington. So how is the work of Jesus going to reach Arlington? Jesus never worked at your company. Jesus never lived in your neighborhood. So how is the work of Jesus going to reach? Jesus lived in a very, very small little village, small little city. He was only there for a few years. But his work is supposed to be all over. How is it going to reach? We're talking about five habits starting next week. You may, may be tough to see up there, but don't worry. We're going to talk about these starting next week. It's going to be easy to remember because it's an acronym of BELLS. Not BLESS, BELLS. Because it's got to be two L's and only one E. I know, I BLESS would have been much nicer. Okay, it would have been really, but I couldn't convert the L to an E. But so BELLS is what we're going to do, okay? And BELLS is going to be this. Every week we're going to take one habit. Starting with next week, to bless three people. And like I said already, only two of them can be people that you know from church. One of them has to be someone from outside of church. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to bless. Bless could be financial, could be a word, it could be an encouragement, could be a hug, it could be whatever. You're going to bless three people randomly, asking nothing in return. Then we're going to talk about eating. You say, this is perfect. I am an expert at eating. This is my expertise. And I say, more power to you. You're going to eat with two people. And we're going to talk about how not just eat to eat, but eat to relate. And eat for depth. And again, one of those can be from the church, but one of them has to be someone not from church. Whether it's a lunch or a coffee or whatever it is, something, and you're going to pay. Okay, you're just, you see. <laughs> or bake or cook or, or, or order or farm or whatever, okay? We're going to listen. Because people who are soldiers spend intimate time listening, and we're going to talk about having a period of listening to God's voice. Because we have to listen to our commander-in-chief. We're going to learn. We're going to grow. We're going to improve our skill set. We're going to learn something. And then lastly, 
an unlimited dose of sacrifice. And every week, okay, as you see, I'm wearing my sticker up here, and I see lots of other people wearing stickers. Every week, we're going to discuss this stuff in life group because we're not just going to do this alone because these are major habits. These are big shifts in our lives, so we're going to discuss them together. We're going to support one another. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to help each other to do this thing right here. So I hope everyone makes sure that you sign up for a life group today. Well, I know we got groups starting even later this afternoon. Our bottom line is we as a church must be questionable people, questionable in a good way. We need to be people, but as I put right here, the church is an army of ordinary people. You're no more different than me, living in an ordinary world, but serving an extraordinary God, and therefore truly living truly extraordinary lives. Our lives have to be extraordinary in the truest sense of the word. It means they cannot be ordinary. Here's ordinary. Here is extraordinary. That's how our lives have to be. They can't look like everybody else. They look like everybody else's something ain't right, and the mission will not continue. We, our lives, have to stand out because we are part of something great. You are part of something great. You are not just here for yourself. You are here to fight for the kingdom of light, and it's our greatest honor to be part of that. And come back next week, and we're going to talk about five habits that help you do it. Let's stand together for a prayer now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for calling us to be part of your family and, and enlisting us as soldiers in your mission. We don't see, Lord, that there's much good that can come from us, but we trust you, Lord, and we're going to give ourselves to you these next few weeks, and we're going to open our lives up to whatever it is that you call us to do, that we can please you, and that we can put a smile on your face and we can do what you sent us here to do, Lord, what you sent your son to do, and that he sent his disciples, and they sent their disciples, and someone at some point in time sent us to do as well. Help us to fight and to live as good soldiers. Make you proud, Lord. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.